very excited to be here and was very grateful when I was invited by Pastor Mitch to, to come and speak. And I'm preaching today as part of our One Another series. And today's topic is bearing with one another. I have a four-point message today, and I'm going to get right into it. The first point is, would you, it's, a, it's actually a question, the first point is a question, would you marry a prostitute? That's the first point. Would you marry a prostitute? Now, you probably are wondering where I'm going with this, and I'd like you to bear with me as we look in our Bibles to the book of Hosea, the book of Hosea. And as you're turning in your Bibles to Hosea, and if, you've, if you have trouble finding it, it's just past Daniel. Hosea came on the scene around 750 BC, but there's a lot of history in Israel leading up to that time. And so God gave the people of Israel this new covenant, or sorry, the old covenant back around 1450 BC at Mount Sinai. And you might recall, if you read the book or watched the movie, that at Mount Sinai, as he was giving this, new co or this old covenant to the people, the people were rising up and playing. The people were fashioning gold into a, into a calf and worshiping this golden calf and worshiping Baal at the same time that God was establishing his covenant with his people. And throughout the following 700 years or so of Israel's history, we see time and time again where Israel would be having this constant yearning or propensity to follow after other gods, to seek other gods. Now, you remember the first commandment was, you shall have no other gods before me. And so they continually looked at looking to other gods. And not just worshipping other gods and idols and such. There were all kinds of other, other things in the, in the mix as well that would only serve to, to anger God. It would only serve to, to upset him with Israel, with his people, his chosen people. Now, it wasn't, the whole seven year, 700 years wasn't a complete washout. There were a few good years, like, for example, under the reign of King David and his son, King Solomon. Those were good years in Israel. We had righteous kings on the throne of Israel. And then they were encouraging people to, to seek God and to follow God. But then the 200 years following Solomon's passing, the, things, went, things went pretty bad. Um, the, the nation of Israel actually got split into two nations. There was the southern kingdom of Judah, which actually was made up of Benjamin and Judah. And then the northern kingdom called Israel or Ephraim, which was made up of the other 10 tribes. And in the northern kingdom, they had a whole series of kings for those 200 years since the time of Solomon up to the time of Hosea. And all of those kings led Israel in Baal worship and in sinning against God. None of them were righteous. A whole series of, of wicked kings. And now we find ourselves, after 200 years of that, God has been raising up prophet after prophet over those years uh, the, and Amos was the one that preceded Hosea, and then we have Hosea coming on the scene. And God's constantly drawing and wooing and calling out and pleading. Uh, Isaiah 1 says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And so there's this constant 
calling out to his people. Oh, how he wished he could gather them as a hen gathers her chicks. And he was constantly trying to call out and draw. And, and during that time, he would continually bless Israel as well. He would bless them agriculturally, uh, bless them with safety and such. And in return for God's blessings, they would continually worship Baal. Baal actually was a farming god. And so they would, they would have their, their shrines that they set up in Israel. Two of them, in fact. Um, and the shrines involved golden calves. And part of the worship service involved the procurement of prostitutes as well. And that's what they would continually do in honor of this Baal god, this false god, this idol that they were continually worshiping. And so, so we have Hosea, man of God, being raised up by God, a prophet, comes on the scene in this environment. And by this time, God knew that no matter how much he, he wooed and begged and tried and pleaded, Israel was stiff-necked and what it was, he was doing wasn't going to work. He had to do a new thing. And so he used Hosea as this object lesson now. And what we have is a situation where God was about to have Israel carried off into captivity by the Assyrian king. And he wanted to prepare Israel to let them understand what he was about to do. And so the first thing in this little object lesson was found in Hosea chapter 1 verse 2, where he commands Hosea to find a prostitute and marry her. And he explained to Hosea that Israel was like an adulterous wife. As they follow after these other gods, that was like they were committing adultery against, against God. And so Hosea was called upon God to find a prostitute to be this adulterous wife in this object lesson that he was creating. And he explained to Hosea, I want you to find a prostitute and marry her. So Hosea goes off and he probably went to one of the shrines and found a prostitute there because that's where they hung out. And he married one of the prostitutes. Her, her name was Gomer. He married Gomer. And I was trying to imagine what it would have been like at their marriage feast. Um, you know, imagine Hosea's family coming around and saying, Hosea, what was it that you saw in Gomer that would make you want to marry her? And you can imagine Hosea's response. It probably wasn't what anyone was expecting. And in fact, it was quite a spectacle in the land of Israel. Well, this prophet of God marrying a prostitute, that, that's unheard of, that's ridiculous. Who would do such a thing? Well, apparently Hosea would. And shortly after they got married, Homer and, sorry, Homer, um, Hosea and Gomer had a child, firstborn son, a baby son. And God told Hosea to name him Jezreel. Now, and I won't go into the name of what that name means, but it was definitely a prophetic name and explaining to Israel something that was going on. Then, a couple of years later, Gomer gave birth to a little baby girl. Now, the baby girl was not Hosea's. It was as a result of an adulterous relationship that Gomer was pursuing. And God told Hosea to name that baby girl an unusual name. Her name was No Mercy, 
very strange name, but it, again, was a message to Israel. And then a couple of years later, Gomer gave birth to another baby boy, again, as a result of her adulterous relationships. And God told Hosea to name him, not my people. Well, pretty well told everybody that this definitely wasn't Hosea's son. And so we have these three children born over a period of about seven years. And then Gomer had it with being married to this prophet of God and I guess these unusual names. And so she left him. She decided, I had it. I'm going to go and pursue other relationships. And off she went. And so we, our story pauses at this time, and at the end of chapter 1 and throughout chapter 2. But we understand that just as Hosea married Gomer, knowing that she would be unfaithful to him, God entered into his covenant relationship with his people, knowing that they would be unfaithful to him. The fact that Israel had turned around and throughout those 700 years kept going back to their false gods and sinning, it wasn't a surprise to God. It wasn't a shocker to him. It wasn't like, oh dear, I didn't see that coming. No, he knew exactly the kind of relationship that he was entering into and the kind of people he was entering into that relationship with. And God continued to be patient with the people of Israel. He continued to bless them, give them wealth and success. In return, all Israel could do was thank Baal for their wealth and success. Thank Baal for their protection. They weren't thanking God. All right, that was the first point. Would you marry a prostitute? Well, apparently God would. Second point. I want you to repeat after me. I am Gomer. <laughs> now, that's an unusual point. In what way am I a gomer. What in, 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 that doesn't make any sense. Well, when you see, I've made my um, commitment to God under the new covenant, and He's redeemed me, He's saved me, and yet sometimes I will put something else ahead of God in my life. I will have other gods before Him, and these other gods take many forms. Maybe it's a special someone in my life or something in my life, some hobby in my life. Maybe it's entertainment. Um, maybe it's watching sports or participating in sports or video games. Uh, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going into some pretty dangerous territory. It could be pursuits like financial success, education, careers, those sorts of things. All of these things can become gods in our lives. And what I've observed, and you might have as well, recently, one idol that a lot of people in our particular society tend to have in their lives, the biggest idol is self. That tends to be the biggest idol that we have to contend with. And we'll place self at a higher level in our lives than God. Well, I guess I, guess I am Gomer from time to time. I, I do put other things 
ahead of God in my life. And, and I'm ashamed. And yet, God was not surprised when I did that. He wasn't saying, oh, why in the world did I save that Ron Walker? Oh, man, I made a big mistake in that. No, it wasn't that at all. He knew I would be unfaithful to him from time to time. It didn't matter how steady I walked for those years that I've served him. And I've served him for many years now, come to think of it. It was probably about 45 years. What mattered was that each time that I fell, that somehow something in my spirit enabled me to cry out to him and, and ask him to restore me. That was what mattered. We're all guaranteed to fall. If you haven't fallen yet, I promise you, you will fall. You're guaranteed. All right, let's skip ahead to Hosea chapter 3. Hosea chapter 3, and I'm, and I'm going to read it uh, to you. It's, it's a, the whole chapter is just a few verses long. Hosea chapter 3. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Okay, we're talking about Gomer here. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Who here loves cakes of raisins? Let's see. <laughs> okay, okay. I also enjoy cakes of raisins. What they're talking about was part of the worship service at, at the shrines for Baal. Okay, that's, that's what God's talking about here. Um, so, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and lethech of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I, so I also will be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household god. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Well, this is an interesting turn of events. As we recall, Gomer had left Hosea to pursue other relationships. Well, it appears that during this time of being away from Hosea, she managed to incur some debts that she was not able to pay. And according to the legal system of the day, um, a lender, if it was, could be proven that the person that they lent money to could not repay their debts, had the authority to have the borrower arrested and sold as a slave, and then the proceeds from that sale would go to the lender to, to pay them off for their outstanding debt. So we have Gomer, who found herself um, up for sale. And that was, of course, not her choice. It was just beyond, things got beyond her control, and there she was. And Hosea, you can imagine, part of him would have been saying, good riddance, she had this coming to her. All right, let's see who buys her. Let's see how humble she becomes after what she did to me. Well, instead, God tells him to go and buy her. Go and buy your wife. Well, 
So he did, and it says exactly how much he paid. He actually paid a little bit less than the going rate for slaves. I don't know why, but he brought her home, and essentially he said, you're not going to be my slave. You're going to be my wife, and there's a huge difference. A slave is, is, is just a servant who can be resold if needed, has no authority, who could not earn any money for themselves or anything like that. Any money they earn would go to their master. Whereas a wife is family. A wife has rights. And, a, and, and so he said, you're not going to be the slave. You're going to be my wife. Well, we look in the New Testament and we find that there are two kinds of people. In the book of Luke, chapter 5, Jesus had called a disciple to himself. He called uh, um, Levi, and he said to Levi, come and follow me. And Levi followed him, but as he left everything to follow him, he decided to hold a huge banquet. Levi was a tax collector, and so he invited all of his tax collector friends. Levi was a, quote, sinner, and so he invited all of his sinner friends to come and meet Jesus and his disciples. So there they are, reclining in Levi's big banquet hall, enjoying a wonderful dinner together, and somehow the Pharisees ended up showing there. And the Pharisees showed up and they asked the disciples, why do you eat with these tax collectors? Why do you eat with these sinners? Wow, that's a strange thing to ask, right? Well, not in their day. According to the Pharisees, you know, if, if someone's a sinner, well, that's it. You have nothing to do with them, right? You, you don't talk to them. You completely disown them. You ghost them. And, well, that's, that was what Jesus did. Jesus heard that question, and he responded to the Pharisees' question. He said, in, in uh, Luke, chapter one, verse, uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 30, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not called, come to call the righteous but the sinners to repentance. So there are two kinds of people. There's those who know that they need redemption and are willing to accept it. That's like Levi. That's like Gomer, who was, there she was on the, on the auction block or whatever they called it there. She knew she needed redemption. She had no other choice. And so, of course, she accepted it willingly. And then there's the other kind of people who don't know that they need redemption and are certainly not willing to accept it. And that's what Jesus had to deal with in his day, were the people, the Pharisees, who didn't even know that they needed redemption. They saw themselves as not sick. They saw themselves as not needing a doctor, not needing anything. They were self-sufficient. They were righteous. They were pure in their own eyes. Jesus came to call the sinners to repentance, those who needed saving because they could become aware of their sin, not the Pharisees. When I talk to people about Jesus, I've sometimes found myself making the mistake of trying to convince somebody that they need redemption, <clears throat> trying to convince someone that they are a sinner. And that's, it never goes well. It never goes well. You know, look, look at this. Look what you do there. Look what you've done. Look what you said there. And, and no, it, it's just nitpicky. It's, it's, it's trivial. It, and, and they, of course, 
the walls go up. They become defensive. They're, what, what are you, what are you trying to say? Who, who do you think you are? That's, that's how the conversation would go. No, I discovered, actually in John chapter 16, Jesus tells us that it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin. My job is not to convict someone of sin. I, I would fail miserably at it, of course. It's the Holy Spirit who works in the heart and reveals to somebody that they actually need to be redeemed. Most people don't even see that they're on that auction block ready to be purchased. They're not even aware that they need to be redeemed. They're merrily going along their way. Others might see it but say, no, I'm, I'm just fine the way I am. Thank you. I, I don't need what you're offering. It's the Holy Spirit that draws and convicts and convinces of sin. And so that's where, that's where we find ourselves, where God is choosing the weak and the lowly. And so I, I think I'm reminded of this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul writes, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is, and is it up on the screen there? God chose what, what's that word? God chose what is foolish. Oh, okay. That's kind of harsh. God chose, oh dear. Uh-oh, he's talking about me here. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is foolish, and in the next verse, he chose what is weak. That's right. He chose what is weak. Hey, now that, that's, those are fighting words. Come on. Who hears is weak? Yeah. Okay. He chose what is foolish. He chose what is weak. What, what, else, what else did God choose? He chose what is low and despised. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. Ouch. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not. You feel like you're, you're nothing? That's, that's what he chose. To bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Let's see a show of hands. Who here is a human being? Okay, okay, about 85% of us are, all right, okay, that's good, that's good, that's, we can work with that, all right. By definition, you and I are foolish. By definition, you and I are weak. By definition, you and I are low and despised. By definition, you and I are not, are nothing. Well, that's an encouraging little message, Ron. <laughs> Thank you very much for that revelation. That makes us perfect candidates to be redeemed. That's who God is seeking. That's who he's looking for. And so if you find yourself in that position, which all of us have, I hope, then that's where we need to be. And I'm not talking about only before we were redeemed. 
Because okay? then someone would say, oh, well, look, do you think Christians are so great now? Those aren't Christians or, or like that, and Christians are... So... No, no, of course not. Some of the most foolish people I know are Christians. Huh? That's, that's who God looks for. Wonderful, wonderful <laughs> Christians. Remember the Apostle Peter? Huh? Foolish? He would blurt out the most absurd things. And, and of course, it gets all recorded in the Bible. You know, it's like, oops. <laughs> you, you can't take those words back. You know, it's not like putting it on the internet nowadays. So when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, you remember Pastor Jason, when he was um, introducing our sermon series, he talked about this very scene where Jesus bent down, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed his disciples' feet in John chapter 13. And he said what I have as my third point in my sermon. Jesus said, you also ought to wash one another's feet. That was what Jesus said to his disciples after he washed their feet. Now, and I'm not going to re-preach Pastor Jason's sermon, of course, but, but the message was towards serving one another. And that, that was where it was going. And it was to showing love to one another through serving one another as we're washing feet. So, of course, we're not going to be going out and washing our feet, literally, but we are going to be serving one another. Jesus could have said, maybe if it was me, I might have said, well, let's be a little more proactive about this. Let's say, make sure that you keep your feet clean so that no one else has to wash them. Wouldn't that have made more sense? Right? Wash your own feet. Don't make one another do it. But that's not what Jesus said. Because Jesus knew that there are times that we cannot wash our own feet. There are times when circumstances arise and we find ourselves in places that we never thought we would be. And it takes going to a coffee shop with a friend, like what Amber did, and pouring our heart out. And, a, and having our friend listen. Listen carefully to what's going on. What is, what is truly being spoken? And, and then being a blessing. Washing the feet. Being a, being a servant. Helping up. Offering that hand. It's not a pretty job. You, you end up with a wet towel and a basin of dirty water. Who wants that? But that's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus did. And if Jesus can do it, yes, we can as well. The Lord wants us to be his hands to our brothers and sisters in offering that. Sometimes the person receiving it might 
might reject it. Maybe there's some attitude going on. Maybe it's finger pointing and blame. But their feet are still dirty. They need some help. They need, they need one another. And Romans 15, chapter 1 says, We who are strong have an obligation. You and I are obliged to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves, not to say, well, they made their bed. You know, that's, uh, that's really unfortunate. I, I, I don't know how they got into that mess, but I'll let them sort that one out. No, no, of course not. No, we who are strong need to bear with the failings of the weak. Ouch, oh, oh I, I'm not sure if I, if I want to go there. Did I sign up for that? Is that really what I signed up for? Well, people bared with my failings and continue to do so. You know, I'm grateful that my mother was there to bear with me and help me navigate some situations when I was young. If I needed someone to help tie my shoes, she was right there to tie my shoes for me. I needed help putting on my jacket. She was right there to put my jacket on her. If I had trouble climbing a set of stairs, there was my mom right there to, to help me along. And even other things, some of scarier things like going to a doctor, she would be there to do that. And I'm grateful to God that now, when she is 97 years old, I can be there to tie her shoes for her. Help her with the jacket. Shoulders are a little sore. Help her come up the stairs. Hips don't quite work right. Need some help? Sure. I can be there for her. Now, my, her motivation in helping me wasn't so that, oh, yeah, when I'm 97, you know, he's going to make sure you're there to help me too. No, that's, of course that's not what we do. When we raise our children, we're not telling our children, oh, well, you know, remember this. No, no, it's... It's because it's in our nature. We love our children, and our children love us. That's why we help one another. Well, I'm going to bring us now to our passage for the day. Believe it or not, that was all just preamble, okay? <laughs> what time is it now? <laughs> Ronald should be wrapping up any minute now, and I'm going to, I'm going to try, okay? So, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Paul said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All right, there's these three, well, you could say four characteristics. So the first one, and I, and I, I want you to, to say it with me, or, okay, I'll say it after me, is humility. Come on, say it with pride. Humility. humility. All right. That is servitude. The original Greek talks about servitude. And in the culture of the day, that was not something sought after. It was actually looked down upon. 
it was related to humiliation. And in our culture, we would see that as humiliation. And so we, don't, we wouldn't want to seek after that virtue. We wouldn't want to be that kind of person. And so that back in their day, people tended to boast about themselves, to, 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 to say how great I am. Look at my accomplishments. Look what I do and have done. That was what it was all about back then. Imagine if we had a, some sort of electronic platform where people can boast about themselves. <laughs> That'd be ridiculous. No, don't even go there. All right. Now, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, remember, the conversation before he did that, none of them wanted to take that lowly place of humility. It would just, it would, no, thank you. I, I'm, I want to be at your right hand when you go into your kingdom. The second virtue I want you to repeat after me, is gentleness. Come on, more strength. Gentleness. Yeah, gentleness. All right, and that's linked to humility as well. Humility and then gentleness. Gentleness is actually controlled strength. So it's not, it's not weakness. It's controlled strength. That's what God calls us to do because we have strength. God is has built us up. He's, he's undergirded us. And so we have the strength, and we need to control that strength. All right. When you're washing someone's feet, you need to control your strength. You don't want to you know, take the brush and scrub. No, no. But you also need to exercise some strength, because at the end of the day, the person's feet need to be clean. So you have to have controlled strength. The third one. All right, say it fast. Patience. patience. Okay, all right. So there's two ways of looking at patience in the New Testament. The word gets translated patience, but there's actually two contexts. One is the steadfastness in the endurance of suffering. And so when you're washing someone's feet, you might be suffering with the smell and the dirt. So there's that context. The other one is a reluctance to avenge wrongs. And it could involve dealing with someone's prideful attitudes. And as you're washing their feet and they're giving you some attitude, you might want to get a little... But no, no, we, we're patient with them. And when God was dealing with Israel, he could have easily said, no mercy. They're not my people. And he could have just said, that's it. You're out of here. I want to have nothing more to do with you. But he didn't. Instead, all through that passage, and, and if you read the rest of Hosea, you'll see God had a plan of restoration. He had a plan to bring his people back. He wasn't just abandoning them because of their idolatry. You know, Hosea could have publicly divorced Gomer. He was in his perfect right to do so, and definitely not redeem her. But he exemplified divine patience by remaining in that marriage. Now, the, the fourth item in that list is, is bearing with one another in love. And that's an outworking of patience. So it's not identical to patience. There's actually uh, different meanings. So I'm going to quickly read through a list of, of definitions that I did in my word study for this word, um, anakomai. To put up with another's faults, attitudes, and idiosyncrasies. To bear under. Uh, to endure. To forbear. 
to hold oneself up firmly, to sustain, and this is my, my favorite one, is to bear with mental calmness, composure, and evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. Bearing with one another. And what we see in the book of Hosea is that God restored Israel. He said, in the latter days, they will come and serve David, their king. Now, King David, who's he? He, he, was, he was a king, but he was, he was the king who committed adultery. Remember Bathsheba? That was David. They're going to serve David, their king? That doesn't make any sense. And, and didn't David go on to, to have Bathsheba's husband killed and, and try and cover it all up? That doesn't make any sense. Why would, why would God honor David of all people? It's because David recognized that he needed the help from God. He recognized that he had sinned. And then he went on to write some beautiful psalms about that, Psalm 51 being one that comes to mind. That's the David. And of course, Jesus would be the one that is talking about Jesus sitting on David's throne. That's, and this was a prophecy about the millennial reign to come, that there will be a reign where Jesus will reign on this earth. The fourth point, I want you to repeat after me, I love you. Oh, thanks. I love you too. And the book of Hosea is the unlikely love story about a prophet and a woman, an unlovable woman, who the prophet decided to love no matter what. We see the heart of God in Hosea and how he determined to love his people. God's determined to love you and me. Even, if, even though we're gomers. And I believe that after that event in Gomer's life, that they went on to have a wonderful marriage together. That's just, it doesn't say it in the Bible, that's just my, my take on it. Romans says that at, right, at just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love for you and me does not depend on you or me. It depends on him and his desire, his love for you. And because of his love for you, so also we can bear with one another in love. Now, how do we bear with one another? We can think of some examples. We can listen. Hey, let's go out for a coffee. I'd like to, I'd like to hear what's on your heart, where, where you're at. That's how we bear with one another. Oh, and I thank God for, for that beautiful testimony that Amber shared. If we go through struggles, go through doubts, David talked about the valley of the shadow of death in the Psalms. We go through those. 
we can offer to pray with someone. If they share some concern, hey, can I pray with you? And then can I pray about that later? Can I? And then later on, like a week or two later, hey, how's it going with that? I've been keeping you in prayer, holding you up. I'm bearing with you. Those are some practical examples. Maybe someone's experienced a death in the family and they just need someone to help them out. And by maybe offering to provide some cooked meals for them, that, that just shows a little bit of love, a little bit of encouragement. Maybe if they have an illness, offer to mow their lawn. Maybe they need some restoration in their relationship with God and they need someone just to sit with them. That's what God calls us to do. I'd like you to bow your heads and I'm going to pray. Our loving, loving Heavenly Father, I thank you for bearing with us. Thank you for loving us despite who we are. And in fact, loving us because we're weak and lowly, because we're nothing, so that you can be Lord, you can be glorified. Anything good that comes from our lives is because of you. And so also, as we look at others, our brothers and sisters, help us to look with those eyes of love. Help us to be attentive and and to be there for them. As, as one stumbles, may three more come and, and bear them up. Thank you for our brothers and sisters. Thank you for blessing us with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.